0: Welcome back to another great week here on Brit David Podcast, as Pastor Tim brings us a message entitled, The Demands of Discipleship, from Luke chapter 14, verses 25 through 35. Pastor Tim states, the path to discipleship is not an easy path. Rather than highlighting the benefits like a good salesman, Jesus focuses on the difficulties people who decided to follow him would face. In this passage, He actually talks more about what kind of person cannot be his disciple, more than sending around a sign-up sheet and boosting his membership. These are the demands of discipleship. Here's Pastor Tim.
1: Amen. You can be seated. Hope you have your Bible today, if you will this time. Take it, turn with me to the book of Luke. Luke chapter number 14, we come to the end of that chapter today. Jesus kind of turns his teaching at this point. We are sort of at the midway point of the gospel itself, but we're at the height of Jesus' popularity. People are wanting to follow him because they hear the news of reports that are happening all around him, the miracles that he's doing, the things that he's saying, and people are flocking towards him. I don't know, you know, I mean, it just comes a point to where Jesus just doesn't seem to be that interested in drawing a big crowd. You know, it's not, it's not for him to just simply get a bunch of pats on the back. He's told what a good teacher he is, what a good preacher he is, what a good miracle worker he is. We saw it in, this, in these first few verses of this chapter, that as Jesus goes into a person's home, he really begins to call them out on their hypocrisy. Not exactly what you would want to do as a dinner guest, and yet that's exactly what Jesus does. And, and even his teaching publicly, when we get to this point, to, not, to this morning, Jesus really begins to point his finger at them and begin to sort of divide them in from the boys, so to speak. To divide those who are there for the right reasons from those who are really not there for the right reasons. What he's going to teach in chapter 15, what he's going to teach again in chapter number 16, is so heavy-handed that the Bible says that there will be many who have come to hear Him and to hear and to see His popularity, but who will turn and walk away because they're not willing to follow Him. They're not willing to meet His demands. And that's where we are today. The demands of discipleship. What does it really mean to be a follower of Jesus? It has to be about more than going to church on Sundays. It has to be about more than being baptized or giving offering or being involved in some of the church programs. Be a follower of Jesus must mean much more to me and for you. And so in this passage, Jesus gives us four qualities, four for comparisons, if you will, the kind, of, the kind of person, the kind of man, the kind of woman, the kind of young person who follows after Jesus, what are they really like? This is no place for wimps in this particular passage. So strap on, here we go. You ready? Look, if you will, with me in verse number 25. Luke chapter number 14 and verse number 25, the Bible says, A great multitudes went with him. In other words, he's left now the house. (laughs) Jesus has left the building. Jesus is out of the house where he had lunch that day. And when he left, a whole multitude of people now had begun to follow after him. And it is to them that the Bible says that he turned and he said to them. Notice this first thing that he says in verse 26. If anyone comes after me... By the way, let's stop there for a moment. Who gets to follow Jesus? Is it just the Baptist? No, it's anybody. Is it just the American? No, it's anybody. Is it just the person who dresses right, talks right, acts right? No! The Bible says it is for anyone whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. If anyone would follow after me. That's what Jesus says. If anyone comes after me. So who's he talking to in the crowd? He's talking to everybody. Who's he talking to in this congregation? He's talking to everybody. If anyone comes after me, And does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters. Yes, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Well, that's not what I expected. It's not. Is that what you would expect as you read through this passage? For Jesus to say, if anybody wants to come after me, then he has to hate his mom and daddy. I don't hate my mom and dad. I don't, I don't hate my sister. I don't hate my wife. I don't hate my children. So does that mean then that I don't get to follow Jesus? No, listen, if he's telling you that you've got to hate somebody, then it goes against the, the other things that he taught He says that you have to love those that are closest to you and you even have to love your enemies. So if he doesn't literally mean for me to hate them, what does he mean? Let's take a little bit of a step back on this passage for just a moment. What is it that Jesus is demanding of you in this passage? He is demanding that you be a worshiper, a worshiper. For to be a disciple, in order to be a disciple, discipleship demands that you be a worshiper. There's only one person who can be worshiped, right? Only one, and it has to be Jesus. It can't be your children. It can't be your grandchildren. It can't be your spouse, it can't be your siblings, it can't be your parents, it can't be your grandparents. There's only one person who gets to sit on the throne, and that is Jesus. It is him and him alone who is worthy of worship. Now we're beginning to get at the heart of what Jesus is saying to this vast crowd. The crowd can't be on the throne. The miracles can't be on the throne. The supply of loaves and fishes or the supply of anything that he gives to you can't be what's on the throne. Only Jesus can be there. So what is what is verse 26 about then? You can put it in this context. To be a worshiper means that you put Jesus before all your other relationships. Before all of your other personal relationships, Jesus comes first. That's what it means. He's using hyperbole in verse number 25, isn't he? If, if you want to try to compare Jesus being in first place with who's in second place, it's, <laughs> there's not a comparison, is there? He's not in first place by the skin of his teeth. He's not as what Dale Earnhardt who said, uh, second place is just the first place loser. That's what he means in this passage. Whoever has second place in your life is your first place loser. He is so far, she is so far, it is so far removed from what you think of Jesus. That it's as if you hate them. Jesus is never going to share His glory with another person. And He's never going to share His Lordship with another person. He's never going to share His place with another person. The Bible says that in all things, He might have the preeminence. That in all things, that He would have first place. Your job can't be first. Your recesses, your preferences, your relaxation, your recreation can't be in first place. Not even your family, that is likely the closest thing to you, cannot be in first place if you want to follow Jesus. It means that he and he alone has preeminence in your life. It's not the place for your mama, for your daddy, for your brother, for your sister, for your child, for your grandchild, for anybody else. And there's somebody else that you need to add to that list too. It's also you. You don't have the preeminence in your own life. See, it's not only that you put Jesus before your relationships, you also put Jesus before your reputation. Before who you are. Did you notice that as he goes through that that, that line of relationships? Father, mother, wife, children, brothers, sisters. And then he says, yes, and his own life also. Yours. Yours. It's your life that has to be sacrificed. It's your life, your agenda, your preferences that have to be put on the back burner. They have to be. It's as if you take your own life and you crucify it before the Lord, right? Isn't that what he says? The very next verse, in verse number twenty-seven. Whoever does not bear his cross and come after me. Bearing your cross doesn't mean that you've got some problem in your life. Everybody has problems in their life. It doesn't mean that you have some illness. Well, I just have to bear my cross. No, the cross is a method of execution. To bear your cross means that you put to death. All of those things in life that vie for first place. All of those things in your life that want your number one spot, that want all of your attention. Put those things to death. You know what verses 26 and 27 do away with? It does away with the person who claims to be a Christian and wants to straddle the fence. Who wants to walk down the middle of the road. Joshua said, Choose this day whom you will serve. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Choose. Choose today. Who will be your master? Who will be your boss? Who will be the one that you worship today? The Lord Jesus? Or anybody? Or anything else? A.W. Tozer was asked what he thought this verse meant. By taking up your cross and following after Jesus. A.W. Tozer gave three answers. He said, A man who is crucified is only facing one direction. (laughs) I never really thought about that before. He's only facing one direction when he's crucified. He's not looking around and he's not looking behind. What direction are you facing? Secondly, he said a man who is crucified is not going back. He's not going back. If you choose to make Jesus your master, your Lord, your boss, there is, as we sing sometimes, Sean, no turning back, no turning back. Jesus said the person who puts his hand to the plow and looking back is not fit for the kingdom of God. Why? Because you can't draw straight lines when you look that way. it only looks in one direction. A man who's crucified is not going back. And thirdly, a man who is crucified has no further plans of his own. Would you give up everything for Jesus? Truth of the matter is, is that the majority of people will not. That's why you see crowds following him out of the house. But then you'll see a bigger crowd that leaves him, rather than stay with him. That's a hard ask, isn't it? It's a hard thing to ask. Forsake all and follow after me. Every time I get to the point to where I feel like I have forsaken all, suddenly the Spirit of God will remind me that there's something else still in my wheelbarrow. Something else that I need to give to Him. The more that He reminds me, the deeper and the more difficult those sacrifices become. Being a disciple is about crucifixion. What are you going to sacrifice? Who are you going to worship? The demands of discipleship are not easy. It demands that you be a worshipper. Demands that you crucify everything. Number 2. <clears throat> discipleship demands that you be a worker. That you be a worker. Jesus changes direction when he comes to verse number 28. Instead of talking about crucifixion, taking up your cross and sacrificing everything for him, now he talks about construction. He talks about building something in your life. Your life is not ready to be built until it's raised. Until the foundation is fulfilled, is completely and utterly clean. I'm not ready for the Master Builder to go to work yet. So I put him on the throne. I make him Lord over everything in my life, everything that I'm aware of. I would crucify before him, and then I look and say, "Okay, now he's ready to build." Now he's ready to do something in my life. And look at the illustration that he uses beginning in verse number 28. For which of you, intending to build a tower, does not sit down first and count the cost, whether he has enough to finish, lest, after he has laid the foundation, is not able to finish it, And all who see it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. We all have good intentions, don't we? We all want to start right. We want God to do something unique and spectacular and wonderful in our life. And so we come to the point of saying, Okay, God, I yield everything to you. Everything is yours, and I lay it bare before you. that what? Now, I mean, is, is that all? Do you want your life to look like a, a hurricane or tornado ravaged area? Where there once stood a house and now there's simply a slab? What does God want to build in your life and with your life? The illustration that he uses is this. For those who were farmers in that day and who had fields, they would erect a tower right in the center of that field. A tower that was tall enough so that they might be able to see over all of their land. They may be able to see when predators like wolves come in. They may be able to see when bandits come in. They may be able to see when a fire breaks out. Or, if someone gets lost in the field, they can find them. They can tell when the harvest is ready and when certain areas need water. They can tell all of those things because of their vantage point. They build a tower so that they might see. The tower that God builds in your life is His own presence. It's the presence of His Holy Spirit who comes in. From there He can see if there's a point of danger, maybe a fire. From there He can see if there's an area of your life that needs watering. From there in your life He can see the, the bandits and the predators that come your way. You can be ready for them. But what about the person who comes to the altar? They shed great big crocodile tears, and yet nothing really changes. Or maybe they live a life of reformed behavior for a few days, a few weeks, a few months. Maybe in a few, even a few years. Their life looks more like a ghost town than a strong tower. That's the person that Jesus is talking about in this passage. He says, you need to be a worker. The life of a disciple is a life like construction. First of all, you have to conceive the task. Conceive the task. You need to be able to see it, know it. What is it that God wants you to build in your life? He wants you to build His characteristics, His qualities. The Bible says that His purpose in your life is that you be conformed to the image of His Son, that you be like Jesus. Can you see it? Can you see the areas that he is working? Do you have that vantage point? <clears throat> if you're building, there's the conception, right? Then there's the idea, the blueprints about what this structure is supposed to look like. And then it's really where Jesus is taking this passage, there's also the doing of it.
0: Join us tomorrow as Pastor Tim continues his message from Luke chapter 14, verses 25 through 35, entitled The Demands of Discipleship. Pastor Tim would love to connect and share with you about a personal relationship with Jesus Christ and how you can know that you know that Jesus is your Savior and Lord. That address is at Brittdavid.org We are located at 2801 West Brit David Road, Columbus, Georgia 31909. Thanks again for joining us here on Brit David Podcast.